Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, hockey fans? Welcome back to Casing the League on Believe Network. I am your host, Casey Hudson, joined by Altitude TV host and Colorado Avalanche reporter Katie Gauze. Thank you so much for joining me and officially meeting you. Well, via virtually, but still. Uh, been a big fan of your work, everything that you've done with the Avalanche. I know that you spent some time with the Florida Panthers, and you do something so awesome, which is cover women's hockey. How are you? Casey, good to meet you virtually and very, very excited <laughs> to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. I am good. Just enjoying what has been a longer summer than normal, but not in a bad way. Sometimes we all need a little bit of a break. So I've been really right. And then especially in comparison to last summer, which we'll get into because you had a, probably one of the most historic, exciting summers with the run that the Colorado Avalanche had. So as you guys know, follow us over at Casing the League on Twitter, but most importantly, Believe Network. That's where you stay up to date on all of the fun, exciting shows Believe hosts. And this show, Casing the League, is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all sports info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchups reports for this year as well now that the stanley cup final and nba is done you can get all the excitement for the mlb the ufc and boxing bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home get into the action today head over to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v to receive your 50 percent bonus on your first deposit Bet online where the game starts. Now that that long-winded spiel is over, and honestly, guys, we'll refer back to Bet Online when we get into some uh, futures when it comes to the NHL as well as the Colorado Avalanche. But we got to get to know our lovely host, Katie Gauze, first, which takes us to the icebreaker. Now, I always have to give people a warning. If you want to know mine, mine is just per vote of my family. I'm not 100% if I agree with them yet because they're family. But you got your speedy, skilled winger, you know, very, uh, maybe more on the OCD control, you know, typical. I don't want to say typical, but just more of a predictable kind of human being then you got your chippy chirping center that two-way person so you got a calm personality but you can be the life of the party you can be reliable but you can also just let loose and then also you know you can shoot your mouth off when you need to which i think we all kind of need that that chip on our shoulder in this industry uh the protective defenseman you can chirp if you want to but you're always going to be the protector and then you've got the quirky goalie which per Cora you can spell it quirky like quirky Romano or quirky with the Q yes. <laughs> but we know that goalies all have their own very unique rhythm and personality so what would you say that you're most identified of of these four I'm gonna have to take kind of like a little bit of like a combo route so I like the chirpy part of the center but I'm definitely more of a defensive minded person I'm Ooh. kind of like that scrappy defender who is undersized but willing to fight literally anyone. And <laughs> that's how you said that you're kind of cat years from your family because my family would say the same thing. They'd be like, you're like the one that like runs your mouth when you probably shouldn't be <laughs> and takes on people that are, are definitely not someone you should fight. But like, I will stick up for any teammate and I will go into any corner. Gloves are coming off no matter what. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I had a... <laughs> 
reputation for being in the penalty box when I played growing up. So we'll leave it. Oh, I love that. I love that. And see, I love how everyone's has been so different, but I think you've been the closest to me. I don't know about you, but I was the youngest. So that's my reason for being like the ultimate chippy chirping person because you have to deal with them beating up on you not beating up but you know picking on you your whole life even though me my siblings are extremely annoyingly nauseously close but then you just kind of adapt all of their personalities and then you turn into the ultimate protector like if somebody i'm the oldest so i'm the one uh, that's like nobody messes with my squad but except me because i will bother them and i will beat them up if i have to yes no one mess with katie's squad i will not mess with your squad katie i can promise you that and now that we know that you can hold your own that nobody should mess with your squad we have to get your perspective and another feel and evaluation for your personality if you can give us a description of or choose a song title that describes this previous 51 24 7 record for the abs you can choose the most exciting player you can choose a moment but Mm -hmm. any song that kind of correlates to where your frame of mind was describing this team for sure i actually love this question i was thinking about it a lot yesterday when you sent them to me for me i'm gonna go with like a moment slash player from this season it was my first full year covering nathan mckinnon and the nate dog as they call him (laughs) certainly had a beast of a year and there were moments all season long where he just took control and single-handedly won the avalanche game so i'm gonna say who let the dogs out and have it be in (laughs) honor of nathan mckinnon letting his dog out every game that he came to play dominating the Avs didn't have the postseason they won, but they won the Central, and a lot of right. that was because of Nathan McKinnon. Um, shout out to Miko Ranton, and he was in a, one of the dogs <laughs> who joined him this season, having a breakout year as well. Uh, but that would be my go-to song. I think uh, I think it's also a fun one. I like the uh, shout out to the Baja. Man. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that's one of those songs that comes on, and even though you're just kind of like, at this point, I feel like it ages me. But the minute it comes on, it's like, is somebody really playing to let the dogs out? And then you're singing it two seconds right, later. Yes, right, exactly. yeah. Like, And then uh, just imagine that with one layer of tequila, and it's the best song that you have oh, ever yeah. heard. Good yeah. party song, no question. <laughs> Nobody's going to complain when that one comes on. It's a jam. Not at all. I love that you were able to combine that with a player as well as the season, because I do think that that represents a lot of the guys on this team just because of those pushes that they made. Because that kind of takes us over to our first question that we start getting into is, you know, the abs are still a favorite team to lift the cup yet again and near future. We're talking 2024, but they've had to overcome the adversity of not having their captain physically on the ice with them here and there. Um, Lance Gogg has overcome a lot. He's had to push through a lot of different injuries and, and situations. But that brings me back to the fact that these guys have had to have that next man up mentality a lot. And we saw Miko Rantanen throw the team on his back when McKinnon was out. And then when McKenna came back, we've seen each guy kind of really carry the torch here. So I love that song choice for that reason. But kind of talk to me about, you know, how this team can make that run, how this team can better what they did this postseason and top it for next postseason. Yeah, well, first things first, this team is going to look massively different next year, not just because of, like we know, Gabe Landeskog, who announced he would be out rehabbing for the entire season. But when you look at the list of players they have that are currently UFA or RFA status, I think we got eight or nine UFAs, three RFAs. So 
I mean, money is tight. No one has a great handle on the cap. And even though we're getting that Gabe money, it's going straight to McKinnon because he's making the most in the league coming up next season. So you still have to find yourself in a position where, yeah, you're going to have to make some interesting deals. A uh, really solid chance we're not going to see JT Comfer after he proved himself in a big way playing that 2C position. And what's a pretty weak free agent market. I think he's going to get paid big bucks. But again, like I said, there's so many UFAs. There's only so much money to go around. The Avs won the cup because they had amazing depth. They're going mm -hmm. to have to find a way to build around that again. Of course, you've got your staples we were actually just texting my coworker and I about this yesterday. Like, who are our forwards right now? We're like, well, <laughs> we've got Miko, we've got Lecky, we've got OC. Um, and then you pretty much have to start piecing together a new group. So right. it's a little bit difficult at this particular moment to know exactly what the team is going to look like. But the bottom mm -hmm. line is that the culture will remain the same. The coaching staff will remain the same. And head coach Jared Bednar did an unbelievable job this season proving that whatever lineup he was given, he was going to find a way to make them successful and to give these guys the lines and the tools to, to be in a good place. So you have to at least rely on that that identity of, of knowing you've got a good head coach. Sorry, my mm -hmm. dog is. <laughs> I would keep looking at you. So cute. <laughs> um, you know that you have a strong head coach. The other thing the Avs will continue to have solidly for another season is the best defensive core in the NHL by yep. far. You've got Kale, <laughs> you've got Taves, you've got Sammy G, you've got a super strong group. Bo Byram is an RFA. That's going to be a priority to try to bring him back. Um, but ultimately, the Avalanche are going to continue to do what they have done, which is whatever whatever guys in the lineup is going to play as hard as they can. We mm -hmm. see the leadership in that core four group of, of stars having to put the team on their back. I think that's going to have to happen again. I'm hoping mm -hmm. that there will be less injuries and <laughs> more chemistry and more depth um, to go around next season so that we can see a little bit more consistency because it was just so hard all year. One player would take a step forward. Another guy would get knocked out and, and we would start all over again. So it was definitely Keep not the easiest year. Um, but those are going to be the keys and Gabe already crushing his rehab. We're seeing him posting on Instagram. He's working hard in the pool. He's getting himself ready. <laughs> um, and his presence and his competitiveness will still be present and the team will mm -hmm. still be yeah, and we've heard guys talk about that before, how he's still such a vocal leader, even if he's not on the ice or with these guys shift by shift. But I'm actually really glad that you brought up the head coach because his resume is not only spectacular, but any guy that kind of has that former player ability knows how to translate that and have a different kind of relationship and communication with his players. Between his success of not only winning the biggest trophy in the ECHL, AHL, and the NHL, can you just kind of talk about how well these guys respond to his coaching? And maybe because he's such a great coach, and I know one personally because we think the world of John Cooper for the Tampa Bay Lightning, but because of his stellar coaching ability, how does that translate if you guys, you know, tend to bring in players that aren't such a big name, meet that cap space with there being so many uh, unrestricted free agents potentially going out the door? 
Absolutely. Well, it's kind of a unique comparison. John Cooper, obviously not having been a player the way Bednar was, but both of them Mm -hmm. traveling through the ranks of basically climbing every rung of the ladder and winning at every level. um, And then ultimately both capturing a Stanley Cup. So there's a lot of similarities in that journey, which I think is unique and it's interesting. Bednar hit a milestone this year with 500 games and also set a franchise record for wins as the head coach. Um, with the Avalanche. So I actually got a chance to ask the guys during the season a little bit about what made him successful. And it was great because you heard from McKinnon, who is not an easy person to deal with because he's a superstar, right? Mm-hmm. How do you coach a guy who's practically uncoachable because they're that good? McKinnon, yeah, everything's so hardwired in him already. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you can't necessarily correct a guy that's as good as he is, and you want to find that balance. Bednar did a great job of that. McKinnon said he really respects us, and in turn, we give him that same respect. He's also very good at relating to the guys, being friendly with them, finding that you know ability to to be a friend to them as well. He said, I think he joked the one time and said he likes to bum chew off guys when they're in their stalls, like just a normal guy, which <laughs> I think probably comes from having been a player. There is mm-hmm. inherently a level of respect among the guys knowing that you've gone through the same things. He's not just telling you to work hard. He at one point did the same things. Um, but trans transitioning that, I also asked a guy like Alex Newhook, who is younger, who's a rookie, who's still really, you know, trying to find his game and, and had mm-hmm. Bednar as his first ever head coach in the NHL what was the keys for him? And he said he made it very clear what you expect. And and he made it very clear what he wanted to see from you when you're a young player and you're trying to establish and find your game, having a coach that communicates with you and makes it that clear is so helpful. And he talked a lot yeah. about how important that was. So it's kind of interesting to see two very different players, two totally different careers, but both having a way that they connect really heavily with the coach. And you can see that Bednar is able to cater his approach to, to kind of just anyone, which is, is, is Mm -hmm. as a head coach. Yeah. And I'm glad that you actually painted that picture for us because the reality is we know that there's slogans that just go across the NHL, right. You know, uh, and keeping the game simple, sticking to our structure. We hear that so much, but when you when you're sitting so close to the scene of it, you can see how quickly or how complex it can actually get. So for a coach to be able to keep things clear, concise and translatable, I think that that just speaks to the volume of great coaching and coaching abilities. And uh, thank you so much for actually giving us the description of coaching. A, I don't want to call McKenna a diva, but when you're good, you've got a little He's bit. He's a of superstar, diva right? That's yeah. To say it, and and he comes with the territory. <laughs> So you got a little bit of a diva there and then you got the new guy who's like, I'm trying to find my identity in this game and and how I'm going to work. And to do that in a system that just produced the Stanley Cup is probably very intimidating. So that just also speaks highly of Bernard and his coaching abilities. But speaking of all the raving guys on this roster. There's one guy, first of all, All-Star Weekend felt like it was the Colorado Avalanche roster. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when they set up all the booths, I was like, Colorado, Colorado, do we have anyone yeah. else here besides Colorado guys? <laughs> um, but it's great for Colorado, right? So you've got McKinnon, or not McKinnon, you've got Miko Rantanen, who was just unstoppable. And looking at his numbers and looking at the line changes that were produced, He was on maybe five, six, seven different lines, not even including special teams. And every time he was on the ice, he increased the scoring percentage by 81%. I thought that was insane. He comes off so humble. He comes off so 
you know, like you want him to brag about himself a little bit, but after the numbers that he produced 50 plus goals, a hundred plus points, seven postseason goals. Do you think that there's another gear in Miko Rantanen heading into this upcoming season, especially potentially with the pressure of the restructuring of the roster? Yeah. Oh, first and foremost is Miko is legitimately everyone's favorite person in that room. <laughs> he is just awesome. We actually even had like our local media. They like created a fun little like award of like the most tolerant of media award. And they gave it to Miko <laughs> this season because obviously a, he was dealing with us a ton, but like he is just such a happy, just like he cares and he's passionate, but he's just at the same time so fair. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> he just has a really good approach. His his attitude is what makes him awesome. And I think it translates to why he has been successful in his career, his ability to compartmentalize, um, to stay positive. But that being said, he also is a really unique superstar because he did things what what I consider to be honestly the best possible way, which is coming into the league and going into the AHL. He did not just come to the NHL, tear it up, face adversity. Mm -hmm. Like he went back to the starting block. He went to San Antonio, which was the affiliate at the time, and he grinded it out. He learned how to be a pro at that level and he took the steps to becoming what he is now. So we even had a feature on him earlier this year where he talked a lot about how that was huge for him. It made a really mm -hmm. big difference. It helped develop him. Um, but to fast forward to seeing who he is now, even just when the draft is coming up, and we were looking back at the photos of these guys on their combine day. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Miko is a little baby. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> massive growth spurt definitely helped. He talked about that as well. How I think this is the one sport where you see guys growth spurts in front of your eyes you know because right. they start at 18 at, at 18 you know their name at 24 you're seeing their game elevate so just the funny comparison of seeing the puberty actually <laughs> blossom <laughs> I mean, 100%. and he even said he was a late bloomer um Lekinen, who played with him a lot in finland said he was like really small when he was a kid and so you oh look at gosh. him now and you're like we literally call him the moose how could this guy <laughs> have ever been tiny but it's not just about that. It's definitely about the mental part of it. It's about, like I said, he went, he learned the hard way. He climbed his way up from the AHL um, and he has become what he is based a lot on hard work. But also we're seeing this year, I think, just the confidence reaching a new level. We talk all the time about when guys are in that peak age. A lot of it has to do with that maturity they finally get to. They build that confidence. This year was a breakout year and you don't typically see anything less after that. I have a very right. strong feeling that Miko, regardless of who he plays with, because let's be honest, the team was a mess last year with injuries and Miko just kept chugging. His consistency was almost the whole season. Right. So I expect that regardless of what the Avalanche roster looks like next year, Miko Randon comes to play and we see even higher levels, which is hard to do. I mean, <laughs> we get over 50 goals. So we're talking yeah. about really lofty, bar raising but again like regardless Miko's presence his confidence his just ability to lead this team even with Gabe out you saw him taking ownership of leadership roles off the ice which was really cool to see that 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 um 
maturity, but also like taking ownership of like, okay, next man up. And like, I'm going to be that guy, not just my on ice play, but like who I am, the way I deal with the media, the way I answer questions. Like he was a, just a true pro all season. Yeah. And I think that that translated, I mean, no matter what you saw, you just kind of saw this very mature guy. Like it's one thing to be quiet. It's another thing to be extremely mature. And that's what we saw. I think this season elevate so much out of him. And to even mention the fact that he just kept chugging along, no matter what happened and what was requested of him, because those line changes is what threw me for a loop. But those are the most key guys you can have on your roster, the ones that you can plug and play anywhere. But regardless of who returns this upcoming season, I guess kind of uh, solidifying how much movement he'll have, he can raise the bar because if he's not asked to play on seven different lines, maybe just cut it down to about three and <laughs> managing his time on ice, he can produce that much more. And I think just having healthy guys, as you said beforehand, is going to be crucial for this team. And that's going to help open up guys like McKinnon and Rantanen to elevate that much more, which is terrifying for anyone who is not a Colorado Avalanche fan. I should say, I like that you call them would you say media tolerant? And it's very true because it was my first all-star coverage this past February. And I was like, crap, now I got to pay attention and check out what some of the other guys have been doing. Not like it's hard to pay attention to what the avalanche guys were doing. And I, I heard that Mika Rantanen is an Arsenal fan and I grew up playing soccer um, all throughout school and in college and stuff. So I was like, yes, here's a nice breaker for me. I'm going to ask him about Arsenal. And with all the humility in the world, he's just like, don't get your hopes up. I was like, uh, they're doing great right now. What do you mean? Don't get your hopes up. And he's like, have you been an Arsenal fan all your life? I'm like, yes. So I dealt with, you know, the soul crushing disappointment. And he was like, yeah, just don't get your hopes up. I was like, wow, that's, that's a true guy right there to let you know. Don't get your hopes up, but also, by the way. <laughs> it's just content gold all the time, too. If we ever had any, because I like to try to mix things up with a lot of my broadcast content. So when we were trying to do, like, fun features, anytime I needed something, Miko didn't even have to say anything, and he would somehow be the funniest person in any of the videos. It was just, it, it was an automatic, we got to go to Miko, because you just never know what is going to come out of his what mouth. So awesome. I it's so sarcastic and it's just so great oh my gosh I love those content gods and I think a lot of the foreign guys are just so gold with it because yeah sometimes the reaction is so it's just so pure but it yeah, comes off really very <laughs> something else um so you already kind of touched on this we don't have to spend too much time on it in the well rearranged words of British punk band The Clash will they stay or will they go yeah. now with the lengthy list that you guys do have going on, the names that pop out to me the most as someone who's, you know, kind of looked at the abs from a distance for some time is Eric Johnson, who maybe I'm, I can never be a GM because I'll pay everybody and keep everybody and <laughs> lose everything. <laughs> but uh, Emily Kaplan had that gripping uh, documentary on Johnson. It just was such a perspective into how hard he's worked and how much he's overcome to be a part of a championship caliber team. Then you've got JT, which you mentioned, you got Matt Nieto, and then you've got Evan Rodriguez. Those are the four names that popped out to me. What are some of the chances of these guys being able to stay? Uh, you kind of already talked about JT, but I know Johnson's chances are probably a little slim, zero goals this season, eight assists, eight points. Um, and then Rodriguez, I thought, was a great step-up player in many ways. So can you kind of touch on some of the agents that may or may not be coming back? Yeah, for sure. So with the 
So with the defense, there's the EJ and the JJ. We've got Jack Johnson and Eric Johnson. Um, honestly, if you can get either one of them back, because they're both going to be looking at more of a low money deal, um, I think we'd be in a great spot. They're very similar in their approach. I mean, they were paired together at one point, but stay at home, solid, amazing on the PK, you know, block shots, just completely sacrifice the body, give you everything that you need from a solid veteran defenseman. So I would say, could you keep both? Would would, would, would we love to? Yes. Will we? I do not know. It would be very interesting to see. I think both have interest in returning. EJ has spent his whole career here, it feels like at this point, this is home. Everyone knows that. So you know that's something that he wants. I can't see him going anywhere else. I also know he wants to keep playing. It's just going to be a matter of whether they can come to terms and if they make an offer to him that he is willing to accept. So that one will be interesting. From a forward perspective, Evan Rodriguez very quickly became my absolute favorite human being. Just the best guy in every single sense of the word. He was word. so fun. I can only imagine what it was like up close to, to, to watch him. He is fantastic. And so to see how his career has developed to coming out of college after four years, going to the Sabres, not really finding success, lighting it up with the Penguins thanks to the opportunities he got from injuries there, and then coming here and picking up where he left off. Very, very good player in the sense that he learned how to play with Crosby, was able to translate translate that to playing with McKinnon but at the same time a guy you could literally plug and place anywhere in your lineup which is just so valuable he could be a winger he could be a center he's great on the penalty kill you could throw him up on any power play unit just a smart guy and his IQ allows him to be put anywhere in a lineup and be successful that being said I think a lot of people are also aware of that and there are going to be teams again in a very it's a weak free agent market. So a guy like him could have the opportunity to get a good deal. He's also, I want to say 29 years old. So he's at that point where, listen, I did a one-year deal to prove myself. I got to get paid. I need term because whatever deal I sign now, this is going to probably be the last big one. And knowing yeah. that's the case makes it very difficult to see him returning to the avalanche. Sort of the same thing with Matt Nieto, although he's kind of just bounced back and forth between Colorado and San Jose. It will be interesting <laughs> to see where he ends up. Um, JT Comfort, for sure, to me, is the most obvious. Not coming back, going to be gone. Just He's a center. It's a weak market, especially for centers. He's, at, again, also at that age where this next deal needs to be a big one for him. I think he'd love to go to Chicago. They're looking for for pieces. He's got the veteran presence. He's got the cup experience. They're going to have Bedard, obviously. I mean, unless they, they <laughs> unless something really fumbles at the last button. minute. No. So I think that would be a cool fit for him being from Northbrook, Illinois, originally. Um, one guy I do think we could see returning would be Andrew Cogliano, who oh. is an absolute machine literally and figuratively the fact that this man is like bionic at this point and just keeps just keeps trugging along um <laughs> the guy breaks his neck and comes back into a game because he is just 100 for the team i do think that cogs has something left in the tank and would be a, a no-brainer for this group his presence in the locker room was very valuable and without gabe landeskog i could see him being someone they really wanted to keep around um, otherwise, when you look at the RFAs, um, Newhook and Byram, I, I don't think we see Dennis Mulligan come back. I don't think they're a huge priority there. He was part of that trade for Dryden Hunt. But with Newhook, um, 
he's going to need to continue to prove himself. So he would be looking at, I think, a bridge deal, something to maybe two years, see if you can really find your game and go from there. Will he accept that? That's something we would kind of need to see. Bo Byram, amazing, has killed it, always consistent in the playoffs, which is huge for someone his age, but under 100 games in his whole career. So he's going to want big money, but he hasn't necessarily proved he can stay healthy. And that is probably a little bit scary for the Avs when they're negotiating. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen there. I know he's going to want a lot, and I don't know if they'll be able to figure it out, but I know they definitely want to keep him. He's a big part of the future of the defense. He fits perfectly with his speed and his agility, very similar to Kale McCarr. So, yeah, it's, uh, that's my <laughs> of this entire team. And who knows if any of it will be right, but it's definitely going to be interesting. We've got our – he'll have a first-round draft pick floating in there, and I do think at some point we see that get shopped out for a – right here right now kind of a player in a trade because yeah the abs are not in a position right now where they want a prospect they need guys yeah they're not in the developmental stage really and they've got enough. enough key pieces to where it just kind of goes back to that plug and play situation um and to make that trade out but isn't that the fun part of our job we sit there and study do homework and research oh, <laughs> and we give all these scenarios for, yeah. well they're all i mean listen these pms are so good at what they do that it's like if you've got a good leader and we've seen what chris mcfarland and joe sackett can do as a tandem uh you've got all the confidence in the world that whoever they figure out they'll they'll be doing it for a good reason and that you know they've, they've built a championship team once and they can certainly do it again Yep. And they just, they have ears. They have more than two ears. That's the way that I like to describe <laughs> GMs in this league. They don't have a pair. They got a couple pairs on them. I loved your description though of Cogs and how like retaining him would be so valuable because if health remains on his side, you get a leader, you get a very gritty player, you get a guy that can go to work in the dirty areas. And we talk about alleviating and taking some pressure off of your star players. I think Cogs is somebody that helps with that. So I love that whole uh, description of that. And then you mentioned you guys' defense, mm-hmm. the growth on the blue line is like is how I like to put it because I've seen Colorado over the years. And while Kale McCarr has been a huge conversation and obviously a driving force as to how this defense leveled up, there's been such a monumental transition in the D zone for Colorado. And I think Kale McCarr obviously being a huge part of it. I think he only played like 60 games this year. He was dealing with some injuries himself. Yeah. But then you saw Devin Taves uh, step up tremendously. You saw Bryman step or Byram step up tremendously. Uh, can you just talk a little bit more about Devin and like the role that he played because he was sitting at a plus 39 come at the end of the season, which means offense was consistently generating when he was on the ice. I think he even looked pretty good on the power play as well. So you're getting the right to you're getting the right offensive defensive men, but you guys have quality stay at home defensemen. Um, how much growth have you seen in the Colorado Avs defense? Yeah, absolutely. One of the bigger stories of the year that kind of went unnoticed with everything that was happening with Nate and um, and Miko was Devon Taves coming out and just being an absolute beast consistently. Um, people don't necessarily, I mean, because it's like the shadow of Kale and truthfully Taves is so happy to be there because that's, that's their dynamic. They're best friends. They're a perfect D pairing. He never wants a spotlight, but he deserves it a lot more than we actually talk about. Um, yeah. and with Kale going down this year, you started to kind of finally see that he was taking ownership. His plus minus has 
throughout his time in Colorado been the best in the NHL. We look at the numbers, it's wild. I mean, even Bergeron can't compete, which is kind of crazy to look at um, yeah. from a plus minus perspective from a defenseman who's put out in some really tough situations. So Taves coming out and doing what he did wasn't a surprise to those of us who see him on a daily basis, but certainly was amplified by the absence of Kale, because I think it would just be easy to say he's really good because he's playing with Kale McCarr, who wouldn't be. Yeah, that's not totally true. He's great with Kale, who wouldn't be, but he's great on his own as well. Um, what I loved about the defense this year, and again, it was tough to see it on a regular basis because we saw so many injuries, but also the balance of um, Josh Manson coming in. And you saw yes. his winning the cup last year, being that physical guy. Um, when he plays, the game is different. The defensive uh, impact is different. There was flashes this year where he did come back from injury and it was a game changer. You really noticed him right away. He's so physical. He's such a presence. But he's also such a great leader. Unfortunately, we really just didn't get a whole lot of it. Um, and then the defense as a group kind of, I think, shined this year, regardless of who was in it, because of the identity that they have established, their speed and their mobility along the blue line is just truly unmatched. And again, starts with Kale, but we see every guy really showing the ability to do that. Byron was able to do it. Sam Gerard is incredibly fast and agile. So to be able to create this identity that they have and also the connection that they have with the forwards, their confidence from the coaching staff down to jump up into the play, to be as dangerous on offense as the forwards is what makes Colorado's defense so scary to defend because at any moment you can have these guys swapping and switching. They, they roll three high and, and it's very difficult to try to contain and to defend. So that's, it's a blessing and a curse because you <laughs> only find so many defensemen that would fit into that system. It's definitely a specific guy that fits that mold. But when that was rolling and when they were healthy, I mean, it was scary. It was scary to watch. And there were times during the season when the forwards were down the defense was actually driving the offense for this team. And, and that is a great thing to see. Yeah, that's actually where I started to notice where this defense has taken those extended strides because I was like, wait a minute. You see the injury report come out before the game and you see the guys that aren't even able to participate and hit the ice. And then you see their defense able to jump into the play and then backtrack to cover their D zone to create these turnovers, to pick pockets in the neutral zone. And then I'm like, wait a minute. How are you making these things happen when you're short forwards? You're seeing extraordinary forward movement out of these defensemen. And that's where I knew, okay, this is a very special group. Colorado's got it going on in that aspect. And it was yeah. fun to watch. I mean, you guys had very exciting defensemen to watch, especially Devin being one of them. And while we love to talk about the guys that we cover all the time, I got to give a shout out to the ladies. Yes. I saw your coverage of professional women's hockey league first and foremost, and then a big congratulation on you covering the championship and just kind of being a face and, and a voice for what's now growing alongside the NHL getting some much needed recognition. Finally, I love the fact that they had some women players at the NHL all-star weekend. Yeah. Kind of talk to me about how exciting this previous season was because of how much more recognition it's getting. And then your experience covering the championship. Yeah, absolutely. So for me first was great that when I came to Colorado, one of the biggest things they were excited about was my background and having played and just being 
uh, so passionate about women's hockey. I actually was given the opportunity to be named a female ambassador for the NHL for Colorado alongside two former Division I players who we work with, uh, Michelle Amidon and Hannah Westbrook, who are just awesome advocates for the game, uh, growing it here in the state of Colorado from the youth hockey level all the way up. And for me to be able to join that group, uh, having played, but not at the highest level, but to bring in a different perspective of I'm a woman who is passionate about hockey and I took it in a way to turn it into a career as a broadcaster, as opposed to going the playing route. It's really cool to be able to educate girls here and, and abroad, just anywhere in the country about being passionate about ice hockey and how it can take you in so many different places. Um, whether you want to pursue playing and that takes you to a college or you want to pursue broadcasting or writing, whatever it may be, just showing girls that there is a really strong space for them in the sport of hockey because you just don't see it nearly as much as in the other sports, but it's growing. It's great. And the game itself, of course, like you mentioned, is growing as well. So to be able to have covered the PHF championship. I started when it was the NWHL. They made the switch to the Premier Hockey Federation. And, and you've just seen, even in the last two years that they made that first name switch to now they've gone to having their championship in an NHL rink. They've increased their salary cap enormously. You're seeing contracts that are breaking records for women signing on these teams. You saw the expansion of the league by adding Montreal, another team expanding. So many good things are happening and to now be getting it on higher platforms. When we started out, we were broadcasting on Twitch. Now we're on ESPN+. Plus. The championship game is on ESPN2. You're getting to see it on national level. It was like the Frozen Four ended and there was a women's hockey game and people were commenting to me, this is even better. This is more exciting. They were excited about it and yes. watching. I finally saw people tweeting about women's yeah. hockey to the level in which they watch um, right. so closely to the NHL. Yeah, and it's awesome because it's it is a cliche, but you want to be able you have to see it to be it. And now there are girls who are getting to see it on the highest level. They're able to imagine themselves playing at that stage. They're able to see that this is a real genuine opportunity, that this is a path, that this is this is a reachable goal. And that is the biggest point of everything that we're trying to do is just to encourage that next generation. But it's also really, really cool for me to see when I started, I had to play with boys to now being a broadcaster covering a championship game where it is an unbelievable product that is on the ice. It is fun. It is fast. It is entertaining. And these girls are kick ass. And it's really, yeah. really great to see it. And I always joke with the guys that I broadcast with. And they ask me like what it's like. I was between the benches for the championship. And I was like, dude, these girls talk more smack than the guys do. Far. <laughs> It is so <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, girls have a lot of chippiness. They might not be a hitting league, but trust me, there is plenty of physicality. Yeah, well, we know the girls that can, can be very sword-like with their words when they need to be. So I would love to hear the mic up version of that. But also, again, just a huge congratulations to even be a part of that to be able to translate your you know personal career and upcoming in hockey into broadcasting alone because – even just being able to have a voice in broadcasting in the NHL as a woman, that's a whole different stride. And I think what's important slash beautiful about it is I have so many friends that love what I do for work and they try to, 
be more involved in it, to be supportive, but also to share my passion and excitement. But it's so intimidating for them because hockey has its own language. It needs a dictionary on its own, I promise. And so to make it more fun and to show people why this is such an exciting and just like high enthusiasm, passionate sport, you've got to have that leveling space. And I think that when it comes to translating things, women are brilliant at doing that. So, so much respect for you doing it not only in the NHL, but doing it at the PHF as well. And then of course we have to highlight why these girls are so badass, women, ladies, some people don't like to be called girls. Uh, I'm 31 years old and I still call myself a girl. My parents think it's problematic, but I love that we had Sarah Nurse steal the show all-star weekend and I don't care what anybody says it's not just because I'm a chick girl woman lady whatever she 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 crushed it she completely stole the show she had the the guys going absolutely berserk so do you think that because of not only what she did but the strides that took place this past year in women's hockey could we see a few more women like all-stars a part of all-star week and maybe a, a larger collaboration there I think so for sure. I really don't see any reason why you wouldn't. I think every single year you see it grow. And as the leagues have continued to grow, I think that's partially part of the influence of why you do see it more. Ultimately, we know this. The NHL is the top product. It's the top for hockey. So if we want women's hockey to grow, there needs to continue to be the strongest partnership possible. That's why these ambassador programs are important. That's why including women in the all-star game is important. But what Sarah did was taking it to another level of not just being like, yeah, we brought these ladies in because we want to showcase women's hockey. Like, oh, no, she actually crushed it and held her (laughs) own and exceeded the skills of some of these guys. So she took it to a place where you're not just invited, you're stealing the show, you belong here. And that is ultimately the biggest impact that she had, that that women's hockey has, is, is showing that we're not just there to to make us feel nice you know just to be like thanks for coming we wanted you to feel included like actually no we are here and we're (laughs) but and it's all the other people that are watching guys girls whoever understand that like there is a value to this that this product is entertaining that this Mm -hmm. is just as good you see it obviously the wnba has a direct partnership with the nba i feel that in a perfect world we could find a way between the PWHPA and the PHF and whatever women's hockey exists to get a partnership with the NHL is ultimately how the next step is going to occur to take it to Mm -hmm. another level. Cause you need the money, you need the stage. The NHL has that. And so to help women's hockey, you're going to need to see that kind of natural progression, but either way to have the girls there, to have the women there, to be able to represent, you know, the highest level of hockey on a stage like All-Star Week, it was awesome. What she did was so much more valuable than just having a sick shootout goal. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I know. And the best part about it is that that's what everyone was talking about the rest of the night versus anything else that happened. Not to take away from the cool stuff the guys were doing. And I could be a little biased because you also said something else that resonates with me. You know, the fact that how far your hockey career went and how you translated that into your broadcasting career. You know, when I was coming up playing soccer, even though we have these kick-ass female soccer players, there wasn't a conversation as to the right routes, the college to go to, to get scouted, to go to the right training camps, to get that opportunity. The conversation kind of stopped at, well, you can play in college for fun. 
Right. And then you're like, okay, well, what do I major in? But then try to also, you know, go for fun at the same time. Or do I take the smaller scholarship or the bigger scholarship, the smaller school? There's just so many different obstacles that people don't realize. And while we respect guys' journeys to make it to the highest level, the journey is a bit different and the mountains are a little higher when it comes to women getting there. So you put it perfectly to say that it's going to come from the right platform, the right collaboration. And that's going to start with the continuation of what we saw this past year. And then just so people can realize that this is so much more worth talking about beyond today, beyond this season, tell us some of your favorite female hockey players to watch in the upcoming season. I know that Lauren Gable or was sitting at the top of like everything statistically this past year, assists, goals, uh, power plays. And then you got Taylor Gerard. She was kick-ass because yeah. I mean the most shorthanded goals as well. I love anybody that's a Swiss army knife on the power play as well as the penalty kill. Uh, is there anyone that we need to be on the lookout from your perspective? Oh, I mean, I've had so much fun covering these ladies. My favorite part about just being involved in the league in general is what a refreshing perspective it gives a media person because you interview these guys and like, I get it. They deal with media a lot. So they get sick of it. They get spoiled by it. The ladies are so appreciative of the value we bring as media, which is ultimately what we're bringing the guys as well, which is exposure. It's promoting them. It's, it's, it's ultimately to make them look good. The boys have been a little lost on that, but the girls are still very much aware of the value media has. So every interview I would do from the first day, I remember being awestruck by the fact that I was thanked for doing the interview. It's thanked. A, yeah, they say thank you when you're done. Normally, you finish an interview, you're like, "Thanks so much for your time." They're like, "No, thank yeah. you." For your time. That is incredible. It just it just gives you a little bit of an idea of the perspective of their understanding and how committed they are to growing the game, that they're not only like willing, but thankful for the conversations that we're having, for the exposure we're giving, for the coverage we're providing. So I just always like to share that because I don't think enough people realize like how much of a partnership this really is between mm -hmm. the media and this women's hockey growth. They really are aware of the fact that like we are there to make things better for them. And it's just such a treat to be able to have a positive interview experience like that because oh it can be monotonous and uh, seasons are long. And so to be at the very end of the road and to still have these women thanking you and and, and thanking you for their coverage and, and being friendly with you on a regular basis, it's just really cool. Um, that being said, I would say, I mean, I didn't get to cover the season as long as I wanted to last year. When I was in Florida, I had the awesome ability to cover games as an analyst on a regular basis. This year being out in Colorado, a little bit of an island out here in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> I was only able to cover the final. Um, but I have so many, so many women that I've met through my experience that are incredible players. Um, Jonna Albers, formerly Jonna Curtis, was one of the best players on the Minnesota Whitecaps. She just re-signed a new deal for next year. Um, she's an absolute rock star. She's so speedy. She's so feisty. She's really fast. So I love watching her play. Teresa Vanisova was the, the uh, MVP of the game that got the game-winning goal for the Toronto Six. So always a player that you have to watch out for. Plays the game so high skill, so much speed. Um, Kennedy Marchment was one of my favorites. Um, actually, when I was in Florida, her cousin Mason was on the team with us. So really cool to be able to hear the perspective of cousins uh, getting to see <laughs> each other both playing at the highest level. But Kennedy brings some of the moves that she makes are straight up out of the NHL. Her hands and her vision out on the ice to make pass plays. 
it, it was it was truly remarkable to watch. And a lot of those were going to Taylor Gerard, who you mentioned, continues to be a stud. You've got Kaylee Fratkin, who is always a rock star on the blue line. Um, I got to work with Madison Packer as an analyst with me for the ESPN game. She did her very first TV broadcast and crushed it. Um, she's such an incredible advocate for women's hockey. Um, and she's going to be the captain, of course, for the Rivers again. So really, really, <laughs> yeah. cool, really cool to see her. She's one of the OGs from the NWHL slash PHF. So those are just a few of the names that stand out. Um, but, oh, Lindsay Eastwood is one of my favorite people. She's on the Toronto Six. I just love her as a person. She's a Syracuse alum. <laughs> I got my master's from there. So I love Syracuse. She's on the Toronto Six. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool because there are very few times where you can say that you know, you cover these these women um, or these players, men or women, and you actually have genuine relationships with them. But I see these mm -hmm. people and every time we see each other, it's big hugs. It's really awesome. So to be able to have, uh, you know, those personal relationships outside of the rink and to watch them grow their careers has been really rewarding. Yeah, and I can only imagine, and I'm glad that you actually painted that picture for everyone too, because it does, after 82 games and People think that if you're not covering, you know, on the road as well, that it's not as taxing. No, it is because you've got to collect all those notes. You've got to be able to ask them questions for all these games, no matter what the result was and see how much information you can get out of them. And at the end of the day, we all know the temperature check in the locker room too, depending on how the game went, there's certain oh, yeah. questions that you just steer clear of, or you have to find this way to ask it to get, you know, an ounce of an answer out of them. So just to know that you're actually being thanked for taking the time because yeah, it takes a lot of work and great journalists don't want to be mundane and make it a, a very dragged out conversation. We don't want to have the same conversations all the time. We want to try to expand upon that and uh, get more information because we're taking this to the fans and it all just comes back to growing the game. So that just makes, I don't know about anyone else. That makes me that much more excited to watch women hockey that much more. And I saw the skills. Marchman, I'm glad you mentioned her. I mean, game winning goals is mm -hmm. was like her thing. Oh yeah. Um, Super clutch. <laughs> right. And then and, and then you think about that in translation to how we talk about Matthew Clutchuk and stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, if you want a clutch player, check out Kennedy Marchment and so many of the other badass women tearing it up on the ice and leveling the competition. So I'm hoping we see some other cool uh, people join the All-Star Weekend and so on and so forth. But Katie, I can't thank you enough for joining me here on Casing the League. Guys, you're going to want to give Katie a follow because I loved your coverage. I love the fact that your fun tweets, you can make it relatable for new fans, for seasoned fans, everything in between. And as a former player, of course, you have the analysis down. But to me, it's just important that new fans are not intimidated. And I think your coverage is just so welcoming, funny, uh, let's say sarcastic enough because you oh, got to yes. stay witty with these guys. And I love a great sarcastic tweet. But be sure to follow Katie for all Colorado Avalanche and badass women's hockey stuff. Follow us at Casing the League. That's K-A-S-I-N-G. The League, me at the Sports Case, K-A-S-E. And most importantly, Believe Network to stay up to date on all of the shows hosted on Believe Network. Until next time, guys, I am your host, Casey Hudson, joined by Katie Goss, and we'll catch you next time here on Casing the League.